can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, where we're picking up on our series through Genesis, and specifically picking up on our study through the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham eventually. We were introduced to Abram last week, and we were introduced to the the great promises that God gave to Abram. Remember, God gives Abram this this huge command, right? Go from the land um, that you live in and go to the land that I'm going to show you, this land that I'm promising you. And then he gives Abram this great list of promises. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And not only only am I going to bless you, actually in you, Abram, in your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's this great promise, and what does Abram do? He obeys, right? He hears the command of God, he believes the word of God, and he obeys, he follows the Lord into the land which God shows him. And then Abram lived happily ever after. (laughs) Not so, not so. Abram's story takes some twists and turns. We, we looked lack, last week at how Abram is to us an example of the life of faith. The writer of Hebrews uses Abram as an example. Look at Abram. He believed God and trusted in him. But as we're going to see this morning, Abram is not a perfect example of faith. All of us have clay feet, including Abram. He's not an unreachable hero. In fact, in this passage, he's going to look quite human, quite fallible. We're looking this morning at Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. And we're going to see Abram doubt the word of God and act not out of a spirit of faith in God's promises, but instead out of a spirit of fear losing sight of God's promises and God's goodness. And the, the interesting thing that happens as we watch Abram be faithless is that all along, God continues to be faithful to Abram. He continues to be faithful. That's our big idea this morning. God is faithful to his promises even when his people are faithless. God is faithful to his promises even when his people are faithless. And my prayer for us this morning as we look at the faithfulness of God is that we would be encouraged to live out lives of faith in God's goodness and God's promises and that we would be able to avoid the temptations that Abram falls into here of doubting the word of God and acting out of unbelief. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 12 beginning in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, 
and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this passage and to your word, expectant that you would speak to us. We come with the knowledge that you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us from your word that this word is living and active. And we ask this morning, Father, that the sword of your word would pierce our very hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us concerning sin, that you would comfort us concerning the righteousness and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. We can divide this passage really into two halves. The faithlessness of Abram, and the faithfulness of God. The faithlessness or the failure of Abram and the faithfulness of God. So first we'll look at the failure of Abram. We're told in verse 10 that there was a famine in the land. At this point, Abram is living in the land that God had promised him in Canaan. Now he's a sojourner in the land. He doesn't own the land. There's people in the land that live there and it belongs to them. But Abram's living in tents and kind of going from place to place, and the people are allowing him to live there. And then there comes a famine in the land. Now, the land of Canaan was especially susceptible to famine um, because of the way their fields were irrigated. The land of Canaan, it's sort of a hilly country, and in order to grow crops, you have to have rain. And if the rains stop and there's a drought, then you can't grow crops and you've got a famine, and then you're in trouble. You can't live there anymore. And so actually multiple times in Scripture, we see God's people in time of famine sojourn or travel down to the land of Egypt. Okay, This happens actually later in Genesis um, in the time of Jacob, who's also called Israel. He and his family eventually go down to Egypt where Joseph is, and they, they go there for refuge in a time of famine. Now, Egypt is drought-resistant. It's got the Nile River. And the Nile River isn't dependent on rains in Egypt. It's dependent on rains deep in Africa. And so Egypt is constantly watered by the Nile. They don't have to worry about drought or famine. And so this is kind of a place of refuge in time of famine. Now, some people would argue that Abram went wrong as soon as he went down to Egypt. I'm not so sure because of other passages like the one I mentioned later in Genesis, God's people do find refuge in Egypt. And actually, in Joseph's time, Joseph makes clear it's actually God's plan that the people take refuge in Egypt. 
So I don't know that it was necessarily sinless or faithless for Abram to go down to Egypt. You could make the argument that it was. I'm not sure that's where he went wrong. But as soon as he gets close to Egypt, Abram goes way wrong. He goes way wrong. So what does Abram do? Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So Abram has this idea in his mind. He says, his wife is very beautiful. This is the case. The Egyptians validate this. Sarai is a very beautiful woman. Um, even at the ripe age of, she's like around 65, she's approaching 70, um, but she's a very beautiful woman. And Abram is worried. If they know that you are my wife, I'll be in between you and them, and they'll get rid of me to get to you. So he's, he's afraid. Of course, Egypt is this great power. If they want to take his wife from him, they, they could. And so what's his plan? He says, let's lie. Or half lie. We learn later in Genesis that, that Sarai is indeed Abram's half-sister. Okay? So she is his sister, but he says, let's, let's only tell him half the truth. We'll say you're my sister, and we won't mention anything about our being married. Right? And of course, they don't have any kids, so there's no kids to kind of poke a hole in this lie yet. And so Abram says, it'll be easy. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll lie, and this way, I'll be able to live. Notice his emphasis on himself in this plan. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, and they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. He says, your life for mine. In verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. What Abram anticipated would happen did happen. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, into Pharaoh's house to become a part of, of Pharaoh's harem. This becomes clear later on when Pharaoh rebukes Abram. What does he say? What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Pharaoh's intention here, whether or not he actually consummates it, is to take Sarai for his wife. And Abram doesn't lift a finger. And what does Abram get in return? Verse 16. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So as Sarai's brother, Abram gets paid the dowry price, and it's a pretty rich dowry price from the king of Egypt. Right, so Abram is made wealthy in all of this. He's sitting pretty with flocks and herds, all kinds of animals, and his wife is sitting in Pharaoh's harem. So let's, let's think about this for a minute. What's wrong with this picture? Uh, there's a number of things wrong. There's a few levels on which Abram goes astray here. The first and maybe the most obvious way in which Abram has gone wrong here is that he's neglecting his wife. 
He's, he's neglecting his wife. He's allowing his wife to go and to be married to another man out of fear. And this is actually, Abram's doing precisely the opposite of what husbands are meant to do in terms of caring for their wives and their families. What Abram is doing is he sees something terrifying. He says, I, I might be killed. This Egypt place, this is dangerous. So here's what we'll do. Sarai, you get in between me and Egypt. You, you take the brunt of this and you protect me by getting out in front of me. Um, this is not how men are supposed to treat their wives and protect their families. What does Paul say about the nature of marriage in Ephesians? He says, marriage is actually a picture of Christ's love for the church. And that husbands' responsibility is actually to lay down their lives as Christ did for the church. That the husband is supposed to sacrificially lead and serve his family and his wife. And lay down his life for the wife. What's Abram doing? He's doing the precise opposite. He's, he's letting Sarai take the, the brunt of the blow. We know this even, even practically just from nature, right? Um, scripture says that, that women just physically, and we know this practically, are the, are the weaker vessel, right? That women, when they're bearing children, when they have young nursing children, they're vulnerable. And that a man's job, a man's responsibility in caring for his wife and for his family is actually to get out in front and to protect his family, right? And this is why men are are literally, quite literally, physically built differently. They're, they're meant to protect their homes and protect their families. And what, what Abram is doing is he's flipping this all on its head. He's saying, I, you get in front of me, Sarai, you protect me. And he turns her over to Pharaoh's harem. It, it's cowardly. This should be an encouragement to us as men. Don't be like Abram. <laughs> Don't be like Abram, right? Don't be like Adam, right? Adam does much the same thing. Where is he to, to be seen in the garden? He, he, lets, he lets his wife go and talk to the serpent, the snake. And he doesn't even lift a finger when she hands him the fruit, right? This is passive masculinity. Um, as husbands, we ought to be active in protecting our homes, protecting our wives, protecting our families. When there's the sound downstairs and you think it's an intruder, you don't send your pregnant wife with the infant baby. <laughs> you go down, right? This is our job. So Abram fails on that level. But underneath his neglect of his wife is a problem with his relationship to God and to his promises. Because underneath Abram's neglect of his wife is the fact that he's being ruled by fear. On the walk into Egypt, all he can think about is this mighty power. And he would have seen all the, the obelisks and the great, um, the great works of the Egyptian empire. And he, he would have gone past the rumbling chariots and thought, whoa, this Egypt, this is a force to be reckoned with. And he's like, I don't want to get on their bad side. And so he figures, I'll, I'll do anything I have to to try and protect myself from this powerful empire and the force they could apply against me. And in all of it, where is the mention of his God? In all of it, where, where are the promises, these great promises, these unblushing promises that God made just 
in the verses before, that the God of the universe, the creator of the world, had promised Abram, Abram, I'm setting you apart of all the nations of the world. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation, Abram. In you, actually, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Egypt's going to be blessed because of you, Abram, because I've set my hand on you. And after all that, Abram, Abram's going and he's trembling, afraid, willing to put his wife out on the front lines in order to protect himself from the power of the Egyptian empire. This man who looked like he was a great man of faith in the, in the last few verses is now showing his true colors and showing us he has a ways to go. He's not living by faith. He's being ruled here by fear. And it's easy to look at Abram and condemn him and say, what a fool, what a fool, I'd never do that. But haven't we all come into one situation or another, come up against some kind of opposition, get some kind of diagnosis, run into some family situation or some situation at work, and we wonder, how am I ever going to get past this? Right? And we can become paralyzed by fear and look for a way out and kind of scramble in our own human efforts to try and find some way around it and to become so blinded by some earthly circumstance that we forget the power of our Heavenly Father and that we forget the power of His promises. We've been given great promises if, we have, if we're followers of Jesus. I want to read at length the passage in Matthew 6 that will change your life if you believe these words. Matthew 6, beginning in 25. This is a promise to followers of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What a promise. Seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What if Abram had believed those words? Because Jesus hadn't spoken them yet, but what if he'd believed that if he simply followed the promises of God, believed the word of God, and sought him first and trusted the rest to God? He would have been able to go into Egypt boldly, walking past all the statues, walking past all the obelisks, saying, 
I serve the God who made the heavens and the earth, and he's given me great promises. There's an incredible freedom that comes from that. And Christians have demonstrated this kind of freedom across the ages. Right? The, the martyrs who, who went before the, the Romans with boldness, with, with fearlessness. Paul, even, speaking in Philippians, to, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What can you do? If I've believed in Christ, you can't touch me. Right? Members of our own fellowship have, have demonstrated this kind of freedom from fear, even in the face of death, even this week as I was visiting with Brian. No fear. He was welcoming what was to come. He told me, he said, this, is no, this isn't really living. He's struggling to breathe on his hospital bed and, and looking forward to what is to come. That's the freedom that we can have, that if we are in Christ, we actually have nothing to fear. And that's the freedom we can have in the face of all earthly circumstances, to understand, I serve the God of the heavens and the earth, and he is faithful. He is faithful. God never fails. This week, I had the opportunity, um, last minute, to speak at Fairhaven Camps right up the road. They called me Sunday night um, and asked if I could speak. And so we spent um, some time out there this week and one night, we actually stayed the night in one of the cabins. And so I spent some time studying out on the porch, looking over the lake one morning. And uh, it was nice to hear all the sound coming across the lake. From West Haven, where the camp was, I could hear screams and yelling from the kids playing in the water and the sound of, I think, 22s firing and uh, a lot of fun being had over on that side of the lake. And on the other side of the lake, on East Haven, there was a church group renting out the space. And so I heard singing, I think they were singing, I, I've decided to follow Jesus, some other songs. And I also heard some preaching, and I couldn't hear all of it, but, but this guy was excited, and so I could catch some of it all the way across the lake. And at one point, he was going down, and he's making this list, and this really struck me, and I said, that's basically my sermon this Sunday. He said, you fail, I fail, we all fail. He goes down this list, right? Abram failed, Moses failed. David failed. We all, Peter failed. God never fails. Jesus never fails. And I think that's the message of this passage. Abram, failure. Me, failure. Us, failures. God never fails. And that's just what we see. Even as Abram is turning away from God, not trusting him, blinded by fear, the Lord is faithful to Abram and to his family. The Lord is faithful to Sarai, even as Abram has abandoned her to the wolves. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. These plagues kind of prefigure for us the plagues that will come in the time of Moses. The Lord protects his people. He will do anything to get his people out from the mouths of the wolves. So the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. We're not told the specifics of what these were. And we're not told specifically how Pharaoh knew what these plagues were about. But somehow he found out, whether it was from a, a vision from God or whether it was one of Sarai's servants whispering with his servants saying, I think I know what's wrong. Pharaoh finds out. And he summons Abram, and it's interesting here, Pharaoh comes out looking 
a lot more righteous and upstanding than Abram does. Verse 18, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her from my wife? Implication here, I think Abram wouldn't have touched Sarai or Abram if Abram had just done nothing, if he'd just been faithful. But instead, he puts himself and his wife into this terrible situation out of, out of his fear. And what does Pharaoh say? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So we see the Lord blessing Abram, even, even here. Blessing Abram by protecting Sarai, right? Because God had made promises to give Abram a family, to make him a great nation. Abram doesn't have any kids yet. God's going to protect Abram and Sarai. He's going to fence them in, even in their faithlessness. And not only that, but Abram leaves Egypt with all the stuff that Pharaoh gave him. Verse 20, Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So even despite Abram's failure, he actually goes away wealthy provided for, cared for. God is faithful to his promises even when his people are faithless, even when his people are fools. And what an incredible thing it is for us to know. Because how often do we find ourselves in Abram's shoes before Pharaoh like, oh no, what, what have I done? How often do we wander astray and say, oh no, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? How often do we wonder, will the Lord take me back? Will the Lord be kind to me? Or will I be cast out forever? And in those moments, we can lean on the promises of God. Because even in our faithlessness, God is faithful to keep his promises. And he has made us great promises in the person of Jesus Christ. That no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far we've wandered, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity if we come to him and confess our sins in the name of Jesus Christ. God is faithful and he's just. He's kind to us even in our faithlessness. And interestingly, when we're faithless and we see that God is faithful, what this should teach us is not to fear in the first place. When we see the faithfulness of God, what this should teach us is that the next time we come into something that that would cause us to lead us astray, some situation that would cause us to fear and to tremble, that we can remember the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He doesn't abandon his people. God is faithful to his promises even when his people are faithless. This is wonderful news for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask this morning that you would root out of our hearts those areas where we're being ruled by fear, those areas where we're not trusting you totally in body and in soul. We pray, Father, that you'd root that out and put in its place faith in you, that you would show us yourself, 
that you would show us how reliable you are, that you would show us how kind you are and how faithful you are to those who have found refuge in your son Jesus, to those who belong to you. We pray, Father, that we would trust the promises of Christ and that we would not walk, not in anxiety and in fear, but in faith. We pray, Father, that you would walk with us even this week. Help us to walk in your promises and in a sense of freedom, knowing that whatever may come, you are by our sides. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.